If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn me to Galatians chapter 2, if not, no worries, you'll find the passage for you in your bulletin as well. And we are making our way through this amazing book of the Bible. The Bible has 66 books that makes up this one love story of how God loves us and all that he's done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And this book of Galatians, it's really dealing with the gospel. And the gospel is the good news That's what it means, literally in Greek, the good news of what God has done for us, not what we do for ourselves, but what he has done for us through a victory of a king, his son named Jesus. And the uh, ramifications of that victory, his life, death, and resurrection changes everything. Well, the book of Galatians has an interesting tone to it. Of all the books of the Bible, it's a little bit of an angry tone. Uh, There's an anxiousness. Uh, Paul is bewildered. Uh, The apostle Paul wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what he's dealing with is in the churches of Galatia, two things were under attack. The message and the messenger. And the message was the message of the gospel. What was happening is very interesting. People are saying, uh, uh, these religious people actually were saying that, yeah, Jesus is great and you got to believe in him, but it's not enough. You got to do more. You got to be religious. You got to be like things like circumcised and eat certain foods and obey a law if you really want to be saved. And Paul is like, man, that's crazy. There's only one gospel. Jesus plus anything is negative. It's not a real gospel. So he's, he's defending that. We'll unpack that a little bit more this morning. But he's also under attack. Attack the messenger saying, this Paul guy. He's not one of the real deal. He's not one of the original 12s. Who is this Paul guy? So that's kind of the tone of the letter. And we're going to see more importantly of just the reality of the beauty of the gospel is presented to us in this passage. But this morning, I want to introduce you to Alicia Faith Pennington. She went by faith and she is known as the girl who never existed. Well, it was kind of interesting. It was a Radio Lab podcast that I listened to. It was way back in 2016 when it came out. And Faith has a pretty unusual story. Faith was born and raised in Texas. Uh, she was born in a home that, uh, highly religious home. Um, some would say a Christian home, but a legalistic Christian home with a lot of do's and don'ts. And her parents wanted to keep Faith and her, their siblings off the grid. So the big brother didn't really know about them. So, so that all, all the identity markers of the culture would not influence them. And so she was born at home. Uh, she was homeschooled. Uh, Faith never went to the dentist. Uh, she never went to the doctors. There was really no records of her. She had no official identification markers. Those things that we all have that kind of tell us who we, who we are. Interestingly, as she grew up in this very sheltered and very controlled home, uh, she, wanted, she wanted a life outside of it. And she just knew that there was something more. And so she kind of, she rebelled and she wanted to go start her new life. So she goes out from the family and she has zero identification. No one knows that she exists. Go try to find a job without a driver's license. Go try to get a, a checking account without a social security number. Uh, go try to do anything in our society. I mean, get a passport when you are no one. As amazingly, she had a difficult time proving that I actually exist. 
And she ultimately would what? She struggled with her identity. I mean, what is, what is my identity? I mean, who, who am I? Well, we all have identity markers. These identity markers will tell us who we are. I mean, many of us have passports or social security numbers uh, or driver's licenses. How many of you know J22042525450? How many of y'all know your own driver's license number? Okay, a couple of us weird people. How many of y'all know your spouse's social security number? All right, there's a couple of us who are that kind of people as well. But these are these things that we have that, again, kind of identify you as you. If you're having a difficult moment today, you wonder, who am I? I bet you there's something you could pull out and say, oh, this is who I am. But we have some other secondary things that identify us. The, the schools that we have attended. Oftentimes, we live in a society, what identifies us of who we are? Our jobs, right? You know, often ask, so what do you do for a living? And so like almost immediately to identify us by what we do. We're identified by our political parties. We're identified by our religious affiliations. These are identity markers as well. And when our identity markers are lost or when our identity markers change, it's quite unsettling, is it not? Have you lost your driver's license? Do you know I had a six month period? I lost it three times. And they had me on a first name basis. Jeff, you're here again? Oh yeah, I, I don't know where it went. It's embarrassing. But how about, more importantly, how about losing, have you ever lost a passport in a foreign country? I mean, kind of terrifying. Not being able to identify you of who you are. Or, or maybe for many of us, maybe you had that weird feeling when you lost a job. Uh, or maybe it's when you retired or something significant changed in your life. And you, you started wondering, who am I? I mean, it's amazing how much that, that can change us. Or even a loss of a marital status, a divorce or a loss of a loved one. Oftentimes those identity markers, when they change, really have us question who we are. You know, interestingly, what was happening in this text is oftentimes our identity markers are also what we think are our connections to God. That somehow these things identify us uh, that if we have these things, we are connected to God. And in this book that we're looking at, being Jewish, being circumcised, uh, certain dietary habits, uh, certain things of keeping the law, all those were identifying markers, but they were more than that. They were connectors to God. And somehow through them, there was this belief that if you did them, if you did these things, if you were identified with these things, that you were justified before God. Well, can you imagine if that's the way you were raised, and many of us were, and that's what you believed, and when you're told that these identifying markers, even these religious identifying markers were wrong, how jarring would that be? When you were told, what you grew up knowing, what grandma and grandpa told you, what your ancestors knew, what was passed on to you was not only wrong, but you're told, listen, it's actually detrimental. It's actually stunting you. This is not good for you. And you have to the reality that if you really want to get this, you have to die to yourself, die to your identity to give up on what you thought was what made you right with God or what made you whole and believe in something else. And we're going to see today that our identity has to be completely in Christ. Peter was struggling with it. Peter knew it, but he was slipping away from it. He knew the truth that he wasn't declared righteous before God because he was Jewish and circumcised. And, and it wasn't the things he ate or didn't eat that made him clean or unclean. As a matter of fact, Peter knew it in a really cool way. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10 and 11, there's a story of how God communicated this to Peter. 
He did it in a way that he had this vision and all the food that his tradition said was unclean, all the food that they said, if you eat this, it'll defile you. If you eat with these people, you'll be defiled. You won't be clean before God. And God gave him this vision says, hey, Peter, get up and eat, man. Eat, eat this stuff, kill this stuff. It's great stuff. And he's saying, really? Can you imagine the first time Peter tasted bacon? I mean, his whole life, he was telling, you know, you don't touch those pig things. They're bad, man. There's nothing about that thing. It's going to make you dirty. And all of a sudden God says, man, go ahead and eat that thing. And Peter has the first bite of, of, of bacon. He's like, this is what I've been missing. And you know, it's one of those things that feels so good. You're like, this has got to be wrong, you know? And I'm sure he kind of felt guilty. Like, can I do this? Is this okay? He had to realize that his identity was not in what he ate or what his religious things. His identity would be in what the gospel calls the power of God. His identity is in Christ. This gospel is amazing because it gives us not only a new identity, it gives us a new connection, a connection with God that is really alive. And not just a connection to God, but our life in God. So this morning, we're going to pick up Galatians 2, and we're going to pick it up right in the place where we left off last week. And it was an eerie, it was a weird scene last week. If you remember in Galatians, or Galatians 2, that there was a confrontation between the apostle Peter in this corner, and in this corner, you have the apostle Paul, and they were going toe-to-toe because Peter was addressing Paul's hypocrisy. Paul knew better than this, but Paul because of some peer pressure and some Jewish folks that that got to town saying, hey man, you shouldn't be eating that bacon, bro. And you really shouldn't be hanging out with those Gentiles, man. They're bad news. And so he started to withdraw and he forgot his identity. All of a sudden he thought, well, his identity as a Jew was more important than his identity as a Christian. And Paul had to be reminded by Peter that, no, 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 you have a new identity. And the only identity that matters is not being Jewish or Gentile, male or female. The only identity that matters for God is being a follower of Christ. And that new identity provides a completely new reality. It's not just a new, new identity. It's a new, it's a new reality. It's a new creation. And that new creation is a new life in Christ Jesus. So this morning we're going to see, we find our identity in Christ Jesus alone. We are justified by faith in Christ Jesus alone. And we live by faith in Christ Jesus alone. So let's look to God's word as penned to, for us by the Apostle Paul, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. Again, God's word isn't here just to entertain us or a story that's kind of interesting. This is God's word and it's alive and active to transform us. So let's lean in. Hear the word of the Lord, Galatians 2, beginning in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews. Now, hold on. The we here, remember we're mid-conversation. This is Peter and Paul. So he's, this is Peter and Paul. And Paul is saying to Peter, but we are, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not, not these Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one has been justified. Man, is he driving that home? But if But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if the righteousness were through the law, then, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, thank you for this amazing good news of how we can be declared not guilty before you. And God, it's not about our efforts. It's not about what we do. It's all about your son. So God, would you come and remind each and every one of us, for some it might be the first time, I pray it is. For some it might be feeling like the first time, something they've heard all their life. But God, would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? And God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you give us ears to hear your voice? And would you give us minds to understand your word? And would you give us hearts to embrace this incredible good news of the gospel? And God, would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? Father God, the things that I say that are wrong or just my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, The things that are said that are true in the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we're going to see in this passage is that we need to find our identity in Christ Jesus alone, our new identity in Christ Jesus. For he's going to tell us in the next chapter that if you're in Christ, if, if you have a relationship with Jesus and, and a relationship, not just head knowledge, but if, if you've come to the place in your life where you realize that he is who he claimed he is and you've given your life to him and your hope is in him, that you are in Christ. Scripture will say that they're neither Jew nor Greek or red, yellow or white, male or female, slave or free, all that identifier stuff, it doesn't matter. The identity that we have now is Jesus, of being in Christ Jesus. You know, it's interesting, I would imagine, of how thunderously different this was for a a Jew. Because what were they told? They were told that, hey, this Jewish people, that you're the chosen race, you're this royal priesthood, you're this unique people belonging to God, that you're the people that has God's covenants and God's promises, that God loves you because of something that you have done religiously or something that you've inherited that's passed on to you. So this is how they thought thought that they had got right with God. And now they're saying, wait a minute. Anyway, are you telling me that in Jesus, all that stuff that happened didn't matter? I mean, are you telling us that this is kind of like the Old Testament is not important for us? And what about the promises of God? What about him saying that I will be your God and you will be my people? What about God promising us a savior? What about the fact that he's going to come and he's going to rescue us? What about all those things? Is it was just a joke? Was it just something you changed your mind about? No, here's the beautiful thing. You see, the nation of Israel in scripture is called God's son, calls him his son. He says, you're my son and I've loved you and I've called you out of Egypt. I've called you out of slavery to be my, my own. But if you read through the Old Testament, you realize it's a wayward son. It's like us. I mean, these people are hard headed. 
And these people, they continue to wander. Can you relate to that? These people, though God provides for them, God loves them, God continually gives to them, they continually wander. Man, it's got to be in my blood too. So what happened to all the promises? You see, there is a true son, a true Israelite named Jesus. You see, we find our identity not in a religion like that of being circumcised. We find our, our identity in the one who came as the true Israelite, that all the promises of God find their yes in him. He is the one. He is the one that provides for us all the blessings. He's the one who has absorbed the wrath. So our identity, the Old Testament, all their promises are all intact, but they all point to him. And now we need to find our identity in him alone. You see, this is amazing because these folks thought, well, we find our identity in God by what we do, by what we eat and what we don't eat, by who we hang out with and who we don't hang out with. It's about us. That's where our identity is. It's a, it's a, we inherited this. We do this. And all of a sudden you get this gospel and say, no, 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 you don't. If you want to be identified with God, if you want to be loved, if you want to have life and life abundantly, you find your identity in him followers of Christ and Christians. So we find our new identity, our identity in Christ alone. The second thing is this, is we are justified by faith in Christ alone. I love how this starts. It's very interesting. Even the verse of verse 13, uh, Paul 15 and 16, Paul is saying, you know, Hey, we, we know that we, we were, we're Jews, right? Uh, we were different than these, these Gentile sinners, by the way, they were Jewish sinners, right? They were, they're all sinners. And the reality is, is, is that now we have this justification by, by faith in Christ Jesus. We're not declared not guilty before God because we're Jewish or because we're circumcised. Or we try to, to follow the law. It says this in verse 16. We know that there's, there's no one. This is a general truth that no one, there's never a person, Jew or Gentile, male or female, that the law ever sets free. There's no one who will ever stand right before God because of the stuff they've done. There's no one. But then it says this, they turn the corner and says, but we, Peter, you and I, we have believed this. We believe that we are justified by Christ alone. This is Paul, a Pharisee. This is Paul, an incredible, uh, who knew the law. When it came to the law, he was blameless. But he says, that's, that's not how I'm justified. That's not how you are. We've come to believe it. Let me ask you this. Have you come to believe it? I mean, is the gospel something that maybe you, you intellectually know? But this was more than just intellectual from them. It's a the general truth. There was this personal truth and there's a universal truth. Hey, listen, there's just no one who's ever going to be saved by following the law. You know, it's interesting is as, you know, you hear this language and this isn't just New Testament language. This is the language that King David used in Psalm 143, verse two, a king who would cry out for salvation, but also say, but there's no one who is righteous. I have nothing to offer you but rags and Paul will emphasize that again in, in Romans 3.20. So what this is saying is, is that we, we find our justification or our salvation in Christ alone. And now this word justification, it's a legal word. It's our standing before holy God. And it's basically saying that we now find our standing before a holy God justified or being declared, stick with this, being declared not guilty. A holy God sees us not guilty, not by the things that we do, the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus alone. It's incredible. It's basically saying, it's, oh, man, I got nothing to offer. I'm a mess and I'm broken, but I, I'm putting my whole faith in Jesus. 
because there was one who was good enough. There was one who lived a sinless life. He's a spotless lamb of God, but he's more. He's the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He lived for me. And not only that, he died for me. And not only that, he was resurrected. He loved me and he gave himself for me so that I, that we could stand before God and his justice doesn't have to be marred. Holy God could look at us, look at his son and says, not guilty, robed in righteousness, free, loved, forgiven his. Not because of what we do, because what he's done. You see, out of the Reformation, there was a really cool distinction about righteousness. When I say, we talk about righteousness, I know what you think about. You think what I think about. We think about the things we do. We think about right living, the things that we're supposed to do, keeping the commandments, doing the right things. And so those are the things we think about. But you see, in the Reformation, they realized that this gospel, this good news of God, there's, a, there's what they call the passive righteousness versus an active righteousness. The gospel reveals this passive righteousness, which is a righteousness from God. Romans 1, 16, Paul will write in 17 as well. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel, this good news is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. For in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So this this whole thing is like, listen, when God talks about being declared not guilty and being justified by faith, he's not talking about your righteousness. He's talking about Jesus's righteousness. Really nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. We're guilty. We're guilty before a holy God. We can't clean ourselves up. Did you ever travel to Europe before the Euro? You know, Europe, the main thing about Europe is you can be in like four or five countries in one day. You know, you go from one to the other and you're in France and Switzerland and Germany and you got the, you know, the French franc and you have the Swiss franc and you had the German mark and, you know, you have uh, the Italian lira, I think it was. And, and they all, they, what's up with the coins, man? They all had coins. What, what's wrong with these? And all of a sudden you got a pocket full of coins. You don't even know what country. And you're like, here, I, oh, does any of these things work? I want a daggum candy bar. Can I get something with any of this stuff? I don't know what this stuff is. I remember recently, uh, uh, a second trip to, to Turkey. I went to Turkey uh, years ago with some of our mission partners and their currency at the time was crazy. Like you would get a bill with like, the number would be like 50,000. And I don't know what it bought, but I wanted it. I was like, oh my gosh, it's 50,000 something or others. It's 50,000. What can I buy with a 50,000 candy bar? I went, I went back to, uh, to Turkey and you realize they, they've upgraded their currency. They've upgraded their currency. And, you know, you try to, you, you try to like, man, they dropped a bunch of zeros now. And you know, I'm, I'm trying to slide the 50,000 in there. Here you go. Want one of those. Sir, we don't take this. This is useless currency. This, we, this doesn't work. When it comes to our righteousness, the only currency that we could ever exchange with, with God is his own righteousness. How foolish are we that we would go before holy God and we would try to barter with him with the currency of our own righteousness. You know what scripture says of our own righteousness? It says this, our righteous acts are like filthy rags in God's sight. And I know many of you are 
recovering legalists like me, many of you grew up and you heard the good news of the gospel. And many of you said, yes, I place my trust in Jesus as Messiah. He's going to get me over the line. He's going to give me eternal life. But now I got to work like crazy to make sure I earn it. Now I got to make sure I live good enough. Now I got to make sure that I am good enough. And our focus is on us instead of on him and his beautiful righteousness being enough for us. And heaven help us that we still live our lives taking some currency of our own filthy rags and saying, God, can I find merit with this? He says, the only thing I could look at is my son. And he is beautiful. And he is enough. And quit trying to bring something of your own. I love you. I gave myself for you. I gave you my son. Bring me Jesus. And nothing else. See, we're justified by faith in Christ alone. That a holy God could look at us and know the truth and say, not guilty. Why? Because we live our lives by faith in Christ alone. We not only find our identity in Christ, we not only find our our justification in Christ, but it says that we actually have our our life in Christ. There's this incredible union. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have been connected to him. It's basically saying this, we realize that in Christ Jesus, that historic life, death, and resurrection isn't just history. If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, this isn't just something that happened a long time ago. This is our story. This happened to us. His death is our death. Paul will say, I've been crucified with with Christ. My sin was there. I was nailed to the cross. My sin was nailed to the cross. Paul will say in Romans 6, I've been resurrected with Christ. I've been so uniquely interwoven in union with him. His life, my life. His death, my death. His resurrection, my resurrection. And I am now one in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus will tell his disciples in Matthew 16 is, hey, if anyone wants to follow me, you got to deny yourself. You see, you can't live until you die. And according to scripture, the gospel, and what you have to die is you have to die to your identity. You have to die to your righteousness. You have to die to, to your stuff. If anyone wants to find their life, they're going to lose it. But if anybody loses their life for my sake, Anybody who says, I'm not enough, but he is. I'm hiding myself in Christ. Those who lose their life, find their life in Christ Jesus. You see, we, we realize this. It's, it's so beautiful as this gospel as we find our life in Christ. Why? Because he loved me. Don't, don't miss this. I mean, this, this could be the sermon all by itself. God loves sinners like us. He loved me. Jesus loves you and and Jesus gave his life for you. And listen, he did that before you tried to clean up. He did that before you could do anything on your own. He loves you and he gave himself up for you. And now we live our lives in response to it. His life is our lives. Now we know why. What does that mean? Well, our lives have meaning. We're connected to the triune God of the universe. Our, Our life has purpose for me to live as Christ and to die, it's even gain. And we, we've been given life with abundance. He's came to give life and life abundantly. We, he came to give us life with endurance and eternal life. This is eternal life, that we may know God and this son that he has sent. This is life. You see, the gospel says, I want to 
in Christ Jesus, we have this privilege of being our complete identity, our complete justification, and now our complete life. The meaning of your life, the purpose of your life is this great gospel. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how broken you are, no matter what this world will throw at you in Christ Jesus, he is enough. He loves you and he gave himself up for you. What are your identity markers? What are the things in your life that if you lost them or they were changed, that would make you question who you are? And some of you have had those experiences. Some of you have just, life has hit you to a place where you all of a sudden say, man, I'm just gasping for air. What are your identity markers? And I'm telling you, if you find your identity in anything apart from Christ, you're building on sinking sand. Our identity should be Christ alone. And listen, remember, your identity is not even your, your sin and your brokenness. It's not even your waywardness. That's not your identity. Your identity in God's eyes is Jesus, the obedient son. What are you trying to do to justify yourself? Let me ask you a question. What currency are you using with God right now? What currency are you using? Are you using gospel currency? Or are you using your own righteousness currency? I mean, what, what are you bartering with God with? Are you going to him and say, hey, God, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do a little bit more. I'm going I'm to get better, God. Around the corner, here it comes. Or are you coming to him and saying, man, I am a mess, but I'm yours. I am loved and you gave yourself for me and Jesus is enough. Here I am, forgiven and free, fully yours. Don't barter with God with anything other than gospel currency. Cling to Christ and him alone. What's your motivation? What's your goal? What's getting you up tomorrow? What are you chasing hard after? May it be Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. There's good news here, my brothers and sisters, that in this gospel, and here you have Peter, who's forgetting the who's he is and thinks that his identity as a Jew is going to be more important than the follower of Christ. And it took Paul getting in his grill and saying, Peter, man, you are just losing it right now. It doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile. What matters is we have believed this to be true, Peter. And because of that reality, we got to live like it's true. How is it with you? Let us pray. And Father God, we thank you for this incredible good news. It's, it's breathtaking. It says that you love us and you give yourself for us. That we can be declared not guilty, justified in your sight. You know the truth about us. And we thank you for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that's enough for us. And God, would you forgive us? Because I know that I still try to barter with you with a currency that doesn't work. God, you've given us gospel currency. And I pray that each one of us lives our lives that reality. And that currency will never run dry. It'll never be bankrupt. It's always enough. I love that Paul will say, I'm not even crucified with Christ, but the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loves me and gave himself for me, that my life is in Christ. And because of that reality, the joy and the meaning that we have, all because of you. Father, as we give you our tithes and offerings, we thank you that we don't have to give a thing to try to earn something that you've already richly given to us. 
We don't have to try to earn any salvation. Because of what you've given to us, we've asked you to take these and use them to advance Christ's kingdom. And God, you'd also use this time to prepare our hearts to meet you at the table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.